The Bible Study Podcast, episode 598. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of the book of Mark with Mark chapter 8. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. We're going to start Mark chapter 8 today. It is a long chapter, but let's jump in. Jesus feeds the 4,000. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into a boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to you. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. It's an interesting story here because if you're feeling like we have done this before, we have two chapters ago, Jesus fed 5,000 people, and we had almost the same discussion. Well, where is there going to be enough place to buy food? Where are we going to be able to get food? How can we afford food? And we do it all over again, and you really wonder what's going on with the disciples that they haven't clued in that this is something Jesus does occasionally. But they don't seem to have. Where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Didn't we just do this? Didn't we just have this sign? And I say it that way because in the way the Bible is broken up into sections by those who did it later on, right? This is Jesus feeds the 4,000. It's that label. That wasn't written there by Mark. Neither were all of the verse numbers. Those were put in later on to help us find the place when we're reading together. And But in this section, those people who put those in included this thing at the end here with the Pharisees coming up to Jesus and asking him for a sign after he had just fed 4,000 people. And I wonder if that's part of the reason that Jesus sighs, because he's just wondering at this point, isn't anybody getting it? Isn't anybody seeing the signs right in front of their face? The yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, Is it because we have no bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus answered them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke 
the five loaves for 5,000, and how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Jesus is frustrated. He's frustrated because he fed 5,000, and they saw it, they remembered it, they know how many baskets full they picked up, they remembered to this day, and yet when he went to, in a similar situation here where they needed to feed 4,000, it didn't seem to occur to them that this is something that Jesus could do. And so now he's fed 4,000, and they remember it, they remember how many baskets full they picked up, and yet they're still wondering whether Jesus is talking about the fact that they only brought one loaf of bread. Well, what are we going to do? We only have one loaf of bread. Gee, what a terrible thing. Maybe we can only feed a thousand people. <laughs> you can just see the frustration that is dripping off Jesus here because they're just not getting it. And I want to I want to think that if I was there I would get it. I suspect that I am wrong. Right? This is just something that is difficult to understand. This is something that is unusual, that is abnormal. And it just doesn't fit into their mental model here of what Jesus can do. And I wonder how many times we miss what God can do because it doesn't fit into the way that we understand the world. It doesn't, we, it doesn't fit into the way we understand God. And I wonder if I am just this kind of source of frustration to God at times. Jesus heals a blind man at Bethsaida. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on them, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. Jesus, again, is healing somebody. A little odd this time. It takes two tries, or it it happens over time, or it doesn't just happen the first time. Don't know why. But at least it tells us that sometimes when there is healing, sometimes when God is working, it's a process. Sometimes it's not an all-at-once sort of thing. and <laughs> That's certainly the way God works in my life. It's not always an all-at-once sort of everything fixed kind of thing. And again, tells him not to go into the village, not to be talking about this. Took him outside to heal him. Again, so this was a private healing, not a big public thing. Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Peter gets it at this moment, at this at least at this particular moment in time, and he's not going to get it just a couple stories later here, but at this moment, Peter sees Jesus, understands not everything, you know, not perfectly, but gets it that Jesus is not just a good teacher. Jesus is not one of the Old Testament prophets come back to life, as some people think. He's not John the Baptist come back to life because like, he's seen the two together, so he knows that you know it's not the same person. But he is the Messiah. He's the one the prophets talked about. He's the one that John talked about. He's the one who is sent to save. 
And Jesus says, don't tell anyone about that, at least not yet. Jesus predicts his death. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns." And when we say merely human concerns, I wonder if Peter's merely human concerns are, don't talk like this, you're going to get us all killed. I mean, that's the kind of human concern that we have. And I think that may be the kind of concern that Peter has. But Peter, who just really nailed it with you are the Messiah, doesn't get what Messiah means. And we can't blame him because in the Old Testament prophets, there are two pictures of Messiah. There's one picture as conquering king, and I suspect that may be the one that Peter is gravitating to. You're going to come in, you're going to kick out the Romans, or at least you're going to set up a kingdom. We know that James and John, that their mother comes and says, hey, when you come into your kingdom, can my son sit at your left and right hand? Their picture is Jesus as conquering king, but there's this other picture of Messiah, the less popular picture that we find in Isaiah, for instance, of the suffering servant, the one who by his stripes we are healed, the one who is beaten and doesn't say anything. And that's the one that Jesus is fulfilling this time. And so Peter gets it and yet doesn't get it and is almost immediately rebuked because Jesus speaks very plainly and tells them this ministry leads in death for Jesus. Jesus has come to die for our sins. He has come to die. And that is beyond our human concerns, our little human concerns like death. When the way of the cross, then he called the crowd to him with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory and with the holy angels. And so he tells them a little less plainly at this point that he will be that conquering Messiah. He will come in his Father's glory with holy angels next time, when he comes. But he also tells them to take up their cross, and we look at these verses and we don't understand the look in the people's eyes, because the cross is not a symbol of Christianity as he says this. The cross is a symbol of suffering and death. If he told them, take up your lethal injection, take up your noose, take up your electric chair, think how strange that would sound. Take up your cross. What is this guy talking about? Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus' question is, what is our life about? Whose is our life? Are we concerned about our life? Is that just merely human 
concerns. What is God about? And I think for this week, what does God want to do with this wonderful, glorious life he gave us? With that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com, or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And thanks so much for listening. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.